Today's podcast is brought to you by the Freedom Day Dividend ETF. We know Ryan Kruger very well. Ryan and his team have been managing money for private clients through many market cycles since 1996. Their strategy is focused on finding companies with the potential to increase their dividends. Now, for the first time, they're offering an actively managed ETF for investors everywhere. The ticker symbol is MBOX, M-B-O-X, as in mailbox, designed for shareholders searching for opportunities to receive more mailbox money. The fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses must be considered carefully before investing. For this and other important information about the fund, please visit freedomdaydividend.com for a prospectus or summary prospectus. Read it carefully before investing. Welcome to Excess Returns, where we focus on what works over the long term in the markets. Join us as we talk about the strategies and tactics that can help you become a better long-term investor. Justin Carboneau and Jack Forehand are principals at Validia Capital Management. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Validia Capital. No information on this podcast should be construed as investment advice. Securities discussed in the podcast may be holdings of clients of Validia Capital. Hey guys, this is Justin. In this episode of Excess Returns, Jack and I discuss the 60-40 stock bond portfolio. The 60-40 has had an incredible 35-plus year run, but with historically low yields, what looks like an expensive stock market, and signs of higher potential inflation, the prospects of the 60-40 may not be as good today as they've been in the past. Jack and I talk about some alternatives investors may consider, but also acknowledge anytime you deviate away from a traditional allocation like the 60-40, there is risk within that as well. So investors need to be mindful of the alternatives they pursue. As always, thank you for listening. Please enjoy this episode on alternatives to the 60-40. Okay, Jack, today we're going to talk about, um, I think, a investing issue um, or challenge or concern that a lot of investors, particularly the, those investors in retirement that are have a traditional like asset allocation, like the 60-40 portfolio, 60% stocks, 40% bonds, which is a pretty standard traditional allocation for a lot of people nearing or even in retirement. Um, We're going to talk about, I think, some of the, I guess, potential challenges that the 60-40 may face in the future, and we'll work through some possible and potential um, alternatives to that. But I think to start, one of the things that we, I know we were talking before, we wanted to sort of just look at how good has this 60-40 portfolio done over the past, say, 40 years. Now, when you go back 40 years, you're going back to the early 1980s, which as we know, bond yields were, you know, 14, 15, 16% at the peak. So at, at, as a starting point, you had really high uh uh, yields on bonds. And then, you know, stocks have delivered a return of something like, you know, maybe a little bit above their long-term average 10% over that period of time. But when you look at the 60-40, um, you get, a, you get a, a full return. This goes back to like basically the mid 80s of 9.2% per year. So that's been the average annualized return of the 60-40 um, over the last 30 to 35 years or so, which is just, it, that's a really awesome return for a portfolio that's so simple and um, so cheap and so cheap to get exposure to, especially now. Um, but I think there's, in this role that you come in, there's there's some you know potential hurdles on the horizon for the 60-40 that investors may want to be thinking about. Yeah, you know, you, you hear this all the time with people like me, people out in the media saying, all right, you know, the 60-40s had these great returns in the past 40 years, but you can expect much lower returns in the future. And so before we sort of talk about alternatives, I think maybe the first thing we should talk about is why that is. So wh- why do, should we expect lower returns in the future? And so the way, the way to do that is to sort of break it out into its two components, bonds and stocks. 
So why would we expect lower returns from bonds in the future? And so there, there's a lot of more complicated explanation behind the scenes, but in general, your return, your expected return on bonds, your best predictor is whatever your starting yield is. So like you mentioned in 1980, you know, you had a yield in the teens on bonds and, and now you have a yield of, I don't know what it is, 2% or however you want to look at it. So what that means is that that is a predictor that's telling us we should expect much lower returns on bonds. And, you know, this is sort of a common misconception people have about bonds. And Corey Hofstein had a really good tweet about this recently on Twitter is this idea that the bond markets, you know, the, the big returns we've seen from bonds since 1980 have been fueled by falling rates. And, and when you really look at that, that, that's not really true. Because what falling rates are doing is they're sort of pull, you know, you're, you're getting an increase in your value of your bond now, but you're also in reinvesting at lower rates for the future. And so what happens is, you know, what's really been determined, what's really determined this return of bonds was the high starting yield, not necessarily the fact that rates fell. And so what that, what that tells us though, is that tells us that we can use the current yield on the bond market as a pretty good predictor of the return we're gonna get. So we don't have to sit here and try to predict our rates gonna go up or rates gonna go down. We can use the current yield and give us a pretty good idea what we should expect. And, and you know, that's gonna be a below average number. And, th and then on the stock side, you know, over time, you would expect valuations to mean revert. So when you have a period where valuations are much above normal, you would expect you're going to get lower returns in the future as those valuations mean revert. And the same thing on the opposite side. And, you know, we can have a debate as to what we're mean reverting back to. You know, are we mean reverting to a long-term average of where stocks have been valuation-wise? Are we mean reverting to what we've seen in the last 20, 30 years, which is above the long-term average? Or are we, you know, mean reverting to something in the middle? But no, no matter how you look at it, you would expect over time, we're going to mean revert on valuations. And so we should have below average returns on stocks. And so if we're going to have below average returns on stocks and below average returns on bonds, we should have a below average return on the 60-40 portfolio. So that's sort of how you get to that. Yeah. You know, earlier in the year for a presentation I did, I pulled the expected long-term asset class returns for U.S. equities. And it was BlackRock, J.P. Morgan, Morningstar Research Affiliates, and Vanguard. And, and basically the range was anywhere from uh, Morningstar had the long-term expected return of slightly less than zero, where Vanguard gave a range of 3, 3.7 to 5.7%. So given where valuations are, you know, a lot of these, a lot of these big firms and research, research shops, you know, are expecting, you know, much lower seven to 10 year returns out of equities than, um, than historic, you know, the average long-term return would be. So let's work through some options um, here, the alternatives to the 60-40. And the first one, and you wrote an article about this and we'll post in the show notes, but it really wasn't a change. You know, it was sort of like staying with, with the 60-40 might be, you know, potentially for some investors, the best option. Yeah, so, you know, the, the first thing I think we should do is take a step back and say, what have people actually been doing? So we're going to talk about some alternatives to the 60-40 portfolio. Well, what is the alternative people have been using? And, you know, going back to Corey Hofstein, the, the podcast we had with him, he sort of made this point, and it's an important point, is, you know, basically when yields were very high, in order to generate, say, a 6% return, you could basically have all your money in bonds. Now, where we are now with yields very low, you know, you need to have, to, to generate a 6% return, you have to have the vast majority of your money in stocks. And so that's, that's, Basically, the way people have been dealing with this fact that expect, the expected returns are lower is they've just been taking more risk. So if I'm in you know, government bonds, I might go into corporate bonds. Or if I'm in you know, high-grade corporate bonds, I might go into junk bonds. Or I might move from bonds to stocks. Or you know, even at the extreme, you know, people will move into growth stocks or they'll move into cryptocurrencies. Or, so that's an approach that's been working in recent years, which is you know, the more you've moved up the risk curve, the more you've invested in these riskier assets, the more return you've gotten. And so you've been able to deal with the fact that maybe your bond returns are not as 
good by taking more risk in your portfolio and boosting your returns. But that's not something you'd expect is going to work long term because at some point the nature of risk is it's double sided. And so as much as risk can drive increased return, risk will eventually you know, cause, cause downside in your portfolio. And so that's an approach that has been working. Um, although people like me have saying it, are saying it may not be a good approach, but it's probably an approach that won't work forever. So what we wanted to talk about is some other options you might have besides what people have been doing, which is moving up the risk curve. And like you said in your question, you know, the, the idea of, you know, in many ways, the best alternative to the 60-40 portfolio may be the 60-40 portfolio. And, and there's several reasons for that. You know, one is in, in the long term, the 60-40 has been a pretty good portfolio. Um, it, it's worked very well. You know, bonds have been a good offsetter for the deflationary shocks that are problematic for stocks. So other than like in a period of very high inflation, the 60-40 has been a good portfolio. And the, the other thing is, you know, we talked about expected returns before and we said they're going to be below average, but you can't time these expected returns. So we're not saying, you know, expected returns are going to be low next year or the year after or, or anything like that. These are really a long term forecast and they're not 100 percent accurate. They may be wrong. So there's a possibility that those of us who have been projecting lower expected returns and have been wrong so far will continue to be wrong. And so that, that's another reason maybe the 60-40 is a good option. And then the final reason is a behavioral one, which is. You know, we know that whenever you deviate from sort of what is a standard benchmark type portfolio, whenever you deviate from the types of returns your friends are getting, you know, you, you have more of a tendency to make a behavioral error. So if you dumped, for instance, in the past 10 years, if you had something like commodities in your 60-40 portfolio, well, commodities have done horribly. And so you were trailing your neighbor, you know, your, your performance was worse. And so, you know, it, if you're if you deviate from that portfolio, you introduce these behavioral problems. So that might be some reason to stick with the 60-40. So yeah, those are really good points. And I think, you know, it, the 60-40 is a simple, straightforward, you know, and very cheap portfolio. So in a lot of ways, it, it probably is good. But for those investors that, you know, want to be more active, understand maybe the risk of being a little bit more active, there are um, some things that, you know, one could consider. And I think, you know, at more at the, at the simplest level in terms of how you might want to tweak around the edges, um, you could sort of play with um, investing in different areas of the market where there might be, you know, relative value, where the, where the excess returns from different groups of stocks or different sectors or different types of stocks, um, you know, might give you a better return than the market. Like, for example, you know, one could argue, well, it hasn't been true the last 10 to 12 years that, you know, maybe value stocks from this point forward will pr provide a better return than maybe a market cap weighted index, given where valuations are. That may or may not be true. But if you have that th thesis, you know, that might be one way you might be able to get sort of an enhance your returns of the 60-40. Um, I know you had a couple other things, Jack, that you wanted to mention in there, too. Yeah, that's right. So we, we talked about the expected returns of stocks and bonds overall before, but within that, there's obviously different expected returns for different types of stocks. And so one thing you can do, sort of the easiest in, you know, most still situation where you're still mostly attached to the 60-40 is keep your stocks, keep your bonds, but around the edges, try to identify relative value within there. So I'm not an expert in the bond market, but you know, there may be certain areas of the bond market you think are more attractive than other areas of the bond market. So, you know, you could do that and you could wait towards those areas. And then and on stocks, like you said, you know, value stocks, although the overall market has a, you know, much lower expected return because valuations are above average, value stocks are sort of the opposite situation. Value stocks have a better expected return. You know, they're actually relatively cheap. 
So that, that's one place you could go. Or, you know, the GMOs of the world are constantly talking about things like emerging markets. You know, emerging markets are very cheap. Even developed market outs, out, the markets outside the U.S. are cheaper than the U.S. So one thing you could do is around the edges, you could sort of say, all right, I'm going to keep my 60-40 stocks and bonds, but I'm going to, you know, I'm going to invest more internationally. I'm going to invest in emerging markets. I'm going to buy value stocks. Or, or maybe I'm going to go in different areas of the bond market. But the one caveat with that is what I said before, which is you have to be careful that whenever you're different, you run into behavioral issues. And so obviously, if you've been buying value stocks for the past 10 years, trying to increase your expected return, you have not increased your return. So you, know, you have to be able to sit through and wait till those expected returns are realized if you're going to do something like this that deviates from the 60-40. Yeah, I think that plays into the next part here, which is you, know, you could also include uncorrelated asset classes and or strategies. So things like gold or commodities or real estate could within a diversified 60-40 portfolio, if you add those, of course, you're running the risk of them. Not, I mean, commodities have been just, you know, a train wreck over the last 12 years. But at some point, you know, commodities will probably be a solid performing asset class. And investors, you know, especially during inflationary times, you can make an argument that commodities, you know, should be represented in, the port in you know, the portfolio, which that would help a 60-40, that would help the investor's overall return. Um, and it might be able to generate, you know, returns above and beyond a 60-40. And then there's other things, Jack, like the rebalancing premium and, you know, um, global macro strategies or commodity trading type of strategies that investors could also consider. Yeah, so going back to the basic, the golds and the commodities, you know, th these basically fall into the basket of if you're a person who's worried about inflation, you know, these might be something that are appropriate to put in your portfolio. But again, they could, they were, you know, their long-term returns have not been nearly as good as stocks. And, you know, they, they do have struggled a lot in the past decade. So that sort of gives you the idea of what the downside of these types of things are. You know, you can put these in your portfolio, but even more so than investing in something like value stocks, these are going to make your portfolio look even more different than the 60-40. And so if you're wrong, if we don't get inflation, if these don't have, you know, good returns, you're, you're taking away from your returns. But, you know, you mentioned the rebalancing premium, and that's, that's an important thing to keep in mind. We did a separate podcast on it, but it's an important thing to keep in mind when you're investing in these uncorrelated assets. Because one of the things a lot of people think is, all right, if I've got my stocks that return 10% long term, my bonds return 5%, and let's just say as an example, none of these numbers are right, but let's just say as an example, you know, gold returns 3% long term. Well, people will think there's no possible way gold can increase my return in my stocks and bonds portfolio over the long term if both stocks and bonds are returning more than gold. But it, it actually can, and it's because of this idea of the rebalancing premium. And the idea of the rebalancing premium is when you introduce an uncorrelated asset with your portfolio, that asset is going up when your portfolio is going down. And what you can do is you can use the money you get from that asset when it's going up, when your other portfolio is going down to rebalance into your other assets. And so if gold is going up when the stock market's going down and I do rebalance and I rebalance back into stocks when they're at lows, well, that, that's just increased my return. So I actually can take an asset that has a lower return than my portfolio and increase the return of my portfolio if it's an uncorrelated asset and if I rebalance properly. Yeah, that's a good, very good point, actually. Um, and then the last, I guess, set of strategies, which these are much more active, quantitative type of approaches, at least the two we're going to talk about, which are strategies that we actually run and deploy. Um, and we've talked about these on other podcasts as well, but things like protective asset allocation and generalized protective momentum, um, at least in our historical test, and, and what those are, they're, they're basically strategies that have the ability to go into the areas of the market um, across a wide array of asset classes, the, the areas that are exhibiting the most um, momentum 
if the momentum breaks down across the majority of those asset classes, these can start to raise cash. And then the one difference between the two strategies is generalized protected momentum also uses a correlation analysis to try to combine or hold uncorrelated assets. So, but what I would say is when we look at at least the return profile, risk and return profile of those asset of those strategies, you know, it's, it gives you a return comparable, at least in our testing, as back, far back as we can go to the 60-40. Uh, maybe the 60-40 has done a little bit better, but where these do um, a much better job is protecting capital in you know, major market declines, like something like 2008, um, where because the strategies have the ability to kind of raise cash and go to cash, um, uh, these tend to do a little bit, at least have historically tend to do a little bit better in big bear markets. Um, but again, they're, they're much more active hands-on strategies, you know, for most investors trying to follow this themselves, I think would be probably very difficult. Um, but you know, they could, especially if the returns of the 60-40 are in fact lower over the next seven to 10 years, then strategies like this could be certainly viable alternatives for investors that are looking for, you know, more advanced approaches. Yeah, just to take a step back and talk about the the permanent uh, the generalized protective momentum and the protective asset allocation. The idea here is going back to point number three, which is you know the, there's these things like commodities and gold that at certain times can be can be good for your portfolio, but maybe long term they're they're not the greatest thing to hold. And so the idea is you know as quants, what we want to do is say, all right, is there some sort of systematic way we can incorporate these types of things in our portfolio when we want to, and we can maybe not have them at other times. And, and that's what what these are. These are you know approaches that use things like momentum to say, all right, let's be in the asset classes that have the most momentum, but you know, for things like commodities that may not have the greatest long-term return and, you, and have these long periods where you don't want to be in them, let's not be in them during those times. And so those could be interested in approaches. Like you said, they're, they're for more advanced people. And then, you know, the other thing to keep in mind with those is they are trading in and out of these, you know, the ETFs that represent these assets. And so they're not the greatest thing for taxable accounts um, because you are generating gains here as you're rotating in and out. But like you said, from what we've seen, they have a, a similar return to the 60-40 portfolio and, and they have less risk. So, you know, in some ways they might, they might be a better portfolio for certain more advanced investors. Um, and Jack, I'll let you sort of just, I guess, maybe wrap it up with this idea of return stacking, which is what um, we talked to Corey Hofstein and um, Rodrigo from Resolve about. Um, but going on to the idea of return stacking, you know, when, when we did the interview with Corey and Rod, it was, you know, it was, it was eye-opening for me because the idea is sort of there's these new types of things you can invest in out there. And they're not completely new, but they're new in terms of being available to individual investors. And a good example is NTSX, which is offered by Wisdom Tree. It's a Wisdom Tree 6040 fund, but it's a levered 6040 fund. So what happens is it's, gener it's trying to generate 150% of the return of the 6040 portfolio by using leverage. So what that means for an investor is if I invest 67% of my money in that ETF, I'm going to get the entire return of the 60-40 portfolio because of that leverage. And so what that does is that frees up 33% of my portfolio to invest in something else. Um, and if that something else you invest in is uncorrelated to stocks and bonds, you can do this without increasing the risk of your portfolio. And so the idea is what you're doing is because you're using 67% of your portfolio to get the entire return of the 60-40 portfolio, whatever you do with the 33% is stacked on top of that return. So as long as that thing produces a positive return, it's going to add to the return of the 60-40 portfolio. It's going to produce a better return, even if that thing produces a return that's less than bonds and stocks. So if commodities, as an example, going back to my previous example, if they produce three, a 3% return, stocks, produ stocks produce 10, bonds produce five, I'm getting my 
60-40 portfolio using only 67% of my portfolio, that 3% is, you know, times with the percentage I can put, the 33% I put into it is additive on top. And so even though I, commodities did not produce as good a return as stock, stocks and bonds, by leveraging the stocks and bonds and freeing up some money to invest in commodities, I've actually added to my portfolio return. So like, like we talked about with protective asset allocation and generalized protective momentum, these are more advanced strategies. You know, obviously you have to be careful with leverage, so it's, it's not an appropriate thing for many people. But it's an interesting idea for investors because it, it's, it's, a, it's a good idea behaviorally because you're sort of locking in that 60-40 portfolio return with a portion of your portfolio. And so you're going to have less, you're increasing your return with what you're doing with the other 33%, but you're also going to have less deviations you have to worry about behaviorally because you are, you're stacking it on top of the 60-40 portfolio as opposed to taking money out of the 60-40 portfolio to invest in these things. So we've talked about a lot of different uh, alternatives here to the 60-40. I think probably in closing, the most important thing for most investors, and we've said this on many of our podcasts, is finding a strategy you can stick with for the long term, it, you know, it wouldn't make sense if you're in a 60-40 now and then you go into protective asset allocation or a strategy like that. And then at the first sign of deviation with that model, you know, you bail out and you sort of make a bad decision. So, so I think the bottom line for investors is finding a strategy they can stick with for the long run and not getting uh, ahead of their skis, if you will. Um, with two advanced strategies like the ones we've talked about. But I do think, you know, investors in the 60-40 certainly have some things to think about, maybe saving more, spending less. Those are also things that you can do in retirement to combat maybe lower returns in the 60-40. So thank you guys for listening to this podcast, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Hi, guys. This is Justin again. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Excess Returns. You can follow Jack on Twitter at, at @practicalquant and follow me on Twitter at, at JJ Carboneau. If you found this discussion interesting and valuable, please subscribe in either iTunes or on YouTube or leave a review or a comment. We appreciate it.